We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Pilato. It's April, baby. That means it's draft month. We are hoping, planning to bring you content every day or almost every day. And we're going to talk about things going on. And that's why this one was sparked, because we were talking about our next draft profile. I want to do Traylon Burks the wide receiver out of Arkansas. I really like this kid, and I want to talk about him with Nick. And I think he's going to have a chance of being on the board at 36 overall for the Giants, and that could be the discussion over whether we think the Giants should draft him, and that's going to come today. So we're going to do a draft profile on Burks, but we also want to talk about news. There's a lot going on right now. There's just a trade in the NFL, a draft trade. The Eagles and Saints made a trade, and we're going to talk about that as well. We're going to talk about the Peter King report. He is somebody who in the past has had intel, over and over and over again. I mean, he's tapped in. And I'm not saying he's right, but he gets the feeling that the Giants don't want to make, quote-unquote, two first-round picks. And there's a reasoning behind that that I can understand. There's a logic behind that. So we're going to get into that and what that could mean. We're also going to get into some meetings that have been going on. Three top prospects in this draft have met with the Giants. The first is Malik Willis, the quarterback prospect, arguably viewed as number one. We'll talk about that. And then two others. Icky Iguanu and Aiden Hutchinson, who, you know, a while ago was considered the number one pick, lock it in. Now, I'm not so sure. Ultimately, though, he probably will go there. Before we get into any of that, Nick, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing great, Dan. I just got back from the Grand Canyon for the second time in five months. Great views, met up with some friends, great people. My girlfriend almost killed Pumbaa on the road. That was fun. So, yeah, good day overall. <laughs> how did she do that? Uh, there were animals running across the street. I told Diane, I was like, yo, you might want to slow down. She's like, ah, they already went by. And then you see one more warthog, you know, that slow warthog go across the street. <laughs> she almost nailed poor old Pumbaa. It would have been a tragic, tragic turn of events. Well, I'm glad it didn't happen, especially for your car as well, because that would have been tough. That would have been a tough drive home, maybe. But 
Listen, let's talk some football. Let's start with a piece of news that I actually missed, which was the Giants' decision to restructure Adoree Jackson's contract. Now, what does this mean? It ain't a pay cut, okay? It is a restructure. They are clearing cap space for now. I believe close to $6 million it was. Let me get the exact numbers on this, or at least the exact reported numbers. They're going to clear $5.98 million in cap space for this year while pushing back the cap hit and taking dead cap into the next year and into 2024. So what this means is they're banking on a Dory Jackson being a player that can be rosterable next season and the season after that. Or, you know, once again, just taking more of these dead cap hits that we saw them take this offseason. Dory Jackson, 26 years old, on paper, at least in my mind, had one of the best seasons on tape of the Giants, any Giants player in 2021. I really felt that way. Now, remember, that's not a huge bar to set. The Giants were got awful in 2021. They were one of the worst teams in the NFL. Not many players played well on tape. Andrew Thomas, Xavier McKinney, the list goes on. The list doesn't go too much further than that. I mean, Dory Jackson, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, you start to wear out and you start to run out of players as you move on. Bradbury, if you want to give him that, though, I believe, you know, at times he did struggle. So I thought Jackson a great tape last year. He's just 26 years old. But the key concept here that bothers me, Nick, or that concerns me, I don't want to say bothers me, is he does have an injury history. He was injured in his first season with the Giants. He was injured throughout his career with the Titans. And when you're pushing back dead cap hits on injured players, you could get yourself into trouble. I mean, the Giants saw this happen last year with Kenny Galladay. Um, and so it's not uncommon or unheard of to be a little concerned when you're pushing back dead cap hits for a player with an injury history, regardless of his age and regardless of the performance he put on tape. But I think overall, factoring in the age, the performance on film, uh, I'm okay with this decision. As am I. I mean, they have to do something to clear up cap space, right? So you have to look at the roster right now and say, who really meshes with what Wink Martindale wants to do? And we've talked about this ad nauseum, Dan. This is somebody who wants to run a lot of man coverage. That's what he did in Baltimore, wants to bring the pressure. And he needs players who are fluid enough and adept in terms of all three levels of the field, vertically, horizontally, short, intermediate, long. They have that athletic ability to stick, stay in phase, and man, and look no further than a guy like Adoree Jackson. So they're taking a little bit of a risk in terms of extending him, hoping that he really meshes in a defense that I feel like translates well to his skill set. And if he doesn't, and they have to move on, it'd be a bigger dead cap hit. But you know what? You have to find a way to make some space right now, especially if you're not going to trade Saquon Barkley. James Bradbury, I think that trade might end up happening eventually, but I don't have any kind of intel on that. But you need to give yourself some breathing room, and they did exactly that. Yeah, yeah, like you said, have to give yourself some breathing room. And in addition to that, the Giants have so much cap space for 2023. It was time they needed to make a decision like this to clear some space up to yeah. sign their draft picks and give them more flexibility with James Bradbury. Now, when they're engaging in trade discussions regarding Bradbury, it doesn't have to be, will you take on some of his salary? They can get a little bit more creative in that or a large chunk of his salary. They can get a little more creative in that and try to get the best possible haul if they do want to trade James Bradbury. And with Jackson, this was, to me, basically the only player on the roster who you could do this with. I didn't want to do this again with Leonard Williams. They did it already once, and they're just building these insane cap hits for Williams. Williams is a good player, but I don't know, man. I, I we, exci- we were excited, and we we applauded that, that contract extension last year. But, you know, take a, take a step back and take the Giants' rose-colored glasses off. I'm not so sure that's a great extension. I'm not so sure it's great to be paying him these insane cap hits that he's going to have in 2023 and 2024 because they restructured him last year and because they signed and because they signed him such a huge deal. 
He's a good player. He's not Aaron Donald. And honestly, he doesn't really impact the passer like Jeffrey Simmons and those guys do either. So I don't know. It doesn't he not even Fletcher Cox to me, to be honest. Fletcher Cox, prime Fletcher Cox. He's not prime Fletcher Cox. And I think you'd agree with that. Would you agree with those uh with that he's not prime Fletcher Cox or obviously Aaron Donald? Yeah, no, he's not that. They're and when totally you pay that $30 million dollar cap hit, you kind of have to get that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of money. And again, this is somebody who had an amazing 11 and a half sack season and was like, it's my contract. It's my time to get paid. And Dave Gettleman was obviously going to be like, well, we have to build for we have to build for next year and win or else I'm fired. Joe Judge is going to be fired. So I'm going to retain Leonard Williams and pay him the market value. Was that the wisest decision right now in retrospect? No, because you don't want to pay Leonard Williams 27.3 million, 26.3 million respectively in the next two years. That is a large number for Leonard Williams, but he's still a good player. He's still someone who can offer versatility. And I mean, he's, I don't have his pressure numbers in front of me. He does create pressure, but he's not the impact player to the level of a prime Fletcher Cox or obviously yeah. not Aaron Donald and Jeffrey Simmons. I mean, he's still ascending and he's still a young player, but it doesn't look like he may have that kind of upside either. And what is he now? 28 years old. I think Leonard Williams. Yeah. And even like, he's a more complete player than Simmons. I'm not trying even trying to compare him to that, but like you said, Simmons is ascending and I just don't think he's the same type of pass rusher. As Simmons, and I'm just focused on pass rushers. If I'm paying 25 million against the cap, I just you can throw out the run defense stuff to me for the most part. Give me a guy who can set the edge. Well, it's great. It's a nice luxury to have. You don't want total liabilities there. You don't want the you know the guy the Raiders just cycled. The guy who's been cycled through four teams, um, Yannick and Guacqua. You know those guys get cycled through because those guys are just super deficient against the run. But as long as you're solid against the run, the focus is on the pass and. He does rack up pressures even last year, but the, it's just it's different watching him and those super good pass rushing DTs in my mind, including like Cox in his prime. And so, you know, and even like Calais Campbell in his prime. So I don't know, man. It's just it is what it is. I My point is it, the contract's done with. It's here. They already pushed back some cap at last year. They couldn't afford to push any more back on Williams. To me, he was out of the picture. And then when you look past the roster, there's really not too many options outside of a Dory Jackson for pushing back cap hits, which is a good thing, by the way, because it means they're going to clear up soon. And I think that's what Chain is going for. Like when 2023 gets here, we're going to have a pretty damn good cap situation, even after pushing back a cap hit for Jackson. Like we're, I, I believe if I saw it right, before the Jackson restructure today, the Giants were going to have like the third most cap space next year. So now even with that restructure, they'll still be in that top five range. It's not going to kill them to restructure and push back a few million here and there uh, over the 2023 and 2024 seasons. The key is just health for Jackson. He has to stay healthy because if it's another injury plagued year for him, you know, then you're starting to be like, well, on paper, it was a good idea to restructure this guy. He's 26. He's a perfect fit for the man system. And he had really good film when healthy in his first year of the Giants. But if you can't stay on the field, you're just not getting value out of that, regardless of all of those other factors. So hopefully he can find a way to get healthy. Yeah, and that's there's already a proven track record that he struggles to stay healthy. And that's kind of the risk that the Giants are taking right now. But you have to do something like we already said. And I'm glad Jane's here, man, because I really just don't think we're going to get too many more of the last the off season we had last year. And even, you know, even me and you fell for it because it was exciting. It was fun to get Galladay. It was fun to get a Dory Jackson, but ultimately these, these types of off seasons just don't these free agent spending sprees just to me, like tend to just so rarely work out for the giants and for all the other teams in the NFL. And you really didn't see the bills do it too much until this final year when they're like, you know what? We got one last hurrah on Josh Allen's rookie deal before we have to pay him. Let's just fire it off and let's just go Von Miller and all those guys that they got like, time just fired off but before that role they really did was Stefan Diggs via trade and then extension so it's like 
you know, I, I'm just happy that we're not going to be that team anymore that has to look back at some of these deals and be like, well, did we really want that? Is this guy going to stay healthy? And and so on and so forth. Now, that'll change for me completely, Nick, if we do land a great quarterback in the draft that is showing like Justin Herbert-like promise in his first year. I'll fall right back into the trap. I'll be honest with you. I'm going to fall right back into the trap of signing guys in free agency because that's a little different for me because I feel like you get that Super Bowl window with the quarterback on the rookie contract, and then it changes a bit once you give him that $35 million-plus contract or whatever it might be by that point. It might even be like 40 $50 mil against the cap to re-sign a quarterback. So it'll change, but I think we kind of both overrated what Daniel Jones could be in year three um, You know, when, when deciding it was probably a good move to go all in last year in free agency. Well, it was all projection. It's not like we were like, oh, Daniel Jones is taking the step forward. We were all like, hey – he might not take that step forward. And Jason Garrett's probably not the guy to maximize him. So he needs to take that step forward in order for this to work. And the fact that you didn't really surround him with a great offensive line, didn't really invest in that, probably doesn't also maximize his chances. So there were a lot of red flags there. And we were calling that out at the time, but it ultimately just didn't work out. Yeah, I don't think we were too too far off. But even looking back, I just, I, I'm going to look at it differently. I'm just going to, I'm going to need more from the quarterback. I'm going to need to see more on film from the quarterback before I want almost any kind of spending in free agency. Uh, from this point on, really, um, with the exception of kind of what they did this year, which is kind of those low key ones. But yeah, Risa, uh, you know, restructured Dory Jackson, created some cap space. They'll now have space to not only sign their draft class, which is important, but they'll also have space to kind of maybe get something done with a James Bradbury trade that can be a little flexible when it comes to what kind of salary, a, a, you know, an accepting team would take on. That leads me to my next topic here, which is interesting. And we can get to the Saints Eagles trade in addition to this after this, but part of this part of like this whole Giants restructuring of Dory Jackson, Giants so strapped with cap space, leads me to believe that Peter King's report from today, which was saying the Giants, quote unquote, don't want to make two picks in the top 10. And in other words, they want to trade one of those picks back and either get a 2023 first round pick or more picks in the second round, but preferably I'm sure they're looking for a 2023 first round pick. It leads me to believe that this report has more legs than normal for two reasons, not just because of what I said earlier, which is true, and it is. Peter King has a good track record. Peter King doesn't really report stuff just based on feel. He kind of reports stuff based on what he's hearing from his connections and his sources. But also, for a team that's strapped against the cap this year, not having a second first-round pick to, to give you that, you know, these top 10 picks, in the top 10, I'm saying, these top 10 picks have carried big capits with them. And so you take away one of those cap hits and it might make it easier for the Giants to kind of negotiate without having to restructure another contract currently on their roster. Again, it would have to probably be like Leonard Williams at this point. There's not really not too many other options for them. But, you know, to not make that decision or to not have to do something drastic like re-sign like a Saquon Barkley type just to lower his cap hit for this year. Anything of that nature. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are on the Peter King report that the Giants don't want to make two picks in the top 10. I think the context of the report is, is important. It wasn't him just coming out with this report specifically about the Giants. It was within a mock draft that he did. And he had the Giants trading out of the number seven spot after selecting Ikemi Kwanu at number five. And they traded with the Chargers. And it makes sense. Chargers need a young offensive lineman to pair with Rashawn Slater. So they ended up selecting Charles Cross. But he says... Wild guess on my part is how he phrases it. Now, is that actually a wild guess or does he have some people feeding this into his ear? And I think that's where it gets important. But I think the, the context of this being within a mock draft is a little bit different than him coming out with a report. So I wanted to acknowledge that. 
But dude, it makes sense. It's stuff we've been talking about, right, Dan? Not even just from a salary cap standpoint, but from the standpoint of the Giants may want some ammunition for next year to trade up to get the quarterback who is going to take over after Daniel Jones, who is no longer a Giant. I think Joe Shane would like to add more late round assets this year while also getting maybe a late, later round asset or a day two asset next year and a one. So if they could trade back to 20 with the Pittsburgh Steelers or possibly trade back with the Chargers at 17. I think they would jump at that chance. Takes two to tango, as we always say. But heck, that ball kind of got moved right today with the Eagles trade with the Saints. And now the trading market's starting to happen. And this could open up more discussion for the Giants to pull the trigger if they can find a partner. Yeah, you're right, Nick. It's interesting because we can get into that in a moment, but I'll first give my take on it. I do think it's possible that Peter King is on to something and he's hearing something. I've kind of had the feeling that the Giants wanted to move out of one of these spots for a while now just because of kind of the cap implications of it. And not only that, because they kind of want it makes more sense in my mind for them to want to have more picks in the next draft, because as you've seen in this cycle already, it's a little interesting how many position coaches and assistant coaches have attended pro days. Don't you think we didn't always see that? We didn't, we didn't see that with the last group. We didn't see it with the group before that. We don't always see that with teams across the NFL. And there's some speculation that I've seen that kind of makes sense to me logically that Shane doesn't really trust the current scouts that he has on staff. Again, these are the Gettleman scouts. These are the past regime scouts. You don't have time when you take over as a GM to completely clean house and get new scouts and get in the guys that you feel can be really good. They did a good job uh, taking Brown from the Eagles, an assistant GM who they think can help them. But, you know, as far as the scouts go, the guys who are, in, you know, on the ground every day and watching the film, it's the guys that he inherited. And so maybe he does want more capital in the next class where he's going to have his guys come in and he's going to have a full draft process to put his stamp on and to feel a little bit more comfortable about the capital he's using, because this is big time capital five and seven, either pick, even if they just had one, like the idea of trading one of those out five or seven, that's a major capital pick for Joe Shane's career with the giants. And he could turn that into a, a, you know, a decent return, like a first round pick this year and a first round next year. The Giants moved from 10 to 20 last year with the Bears and got and got a pick 10 picks later and their first round pick next year, including the fourth round pick as well. That was thrown into the deal, too. So there's still a lot of capital they could receive by trading one of these trades. And it's all future capital when I feel like Shane can put more of a mark on that class. And so that intrigues me a little bit. I've always kind of I've had that in the back of my head, like, will Shane want to have more capital for future classes where he's going to have more of a say in my mind. Not to say he doesn't have a say on this draft. He will be making the picks, but a fuller process for evaluating the class. And that makes a ton of sense. That's an excellent point, Dan, because right now he has a lot of scouts who may not be scouts with the Giants next year. It's hard to tell. Giants are very, as we all know, family-oriented, I guess you could say, in terms of their front office and some of the scouts that they have on staff who are more than likely going to be around with Joe Shane. But Joe Shane is probably going to bring some other guys over once this draft process is is done with. So I think that's an excellent point that you just made. And I, I'm interested now with the trade that happened with the Saints and Eagles, though, too, because like I said, that, that's going to get the ball rolling because this like I feel like a lot of us think of the trade maybe happening during the draft. This could easily happen yeah. before the draft. This could happen tomorrow. It could happen. You know, it could have already happened at the time that you're listening to this. It's it's not ridiculous to think that we've seen throughout the last five years or so, so many trades like this happen around, you know, the end of March and the beginning of April. And that allows the team to really prepare for the picks that they're going to have. And if the Giants are, are according to Peter King, realistically looking at trading back 
they're going to be looking for trade partners before their draft. They're probably not going to go into the draft with those two picks if they're adamant that they don't want to make two selections in the top 10 for whatever reason that is. Exactly. And that could be going on right now. And speaking of that trade, look at what the Eagles were able to get for a mid first round pick. This was the trade. The Eagles give up 16 and 19 and they receive back 18. Let's start there. So essentially 18 and 19, they're, they're moving back from, they're moving up from 19 to get to 18, but they're giving up the, so let's just call it for now, for all intents and purposes, Nick, call that a little bit of a wash. I know the Eagles get a little bit of value there going from 19 to 18, but for the 16th pick, which they're also sending to the saints in this draft, they get 101 in this draft, a, th- a third round pick, a 2023 first, a 2024 second round pick, and a seventh round pick that ends up being they're trading back a six. So let's just get rid of the sixth and seventh there. To me, they're pretty meaningless, especially from a trade capital standpoint. They they really register very little points on the trade chart. But let's just break it down like this. For 16, they're getting 101, next year's first from the Saints, and the year after second round pick. The Giants, to move from 10 to 20, just got a first rounder and a fourth. And so that just gives you an idea of the capital. I know they're in this example, they're not getting any pick back for a 16 overall, at least until the third round at 101 overall. But then they're getting next year's first and next year's second. So I like this deal for the Eagles. And the Eagles also still have the 15th pick as well. So they're sitting yeah. there at 15 and 18, and now the Saints have 16 and 19. I think it's very interesting, and, and you got to look at the Eagles situation similar to the Giants. They have Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is going to be their quarterback this year more than likely. Jalen Hurts might not be their quarterback in 2023. And I'm sure that the Eagles are probably looking at the Giants and they're like, well, Daniel Jones isn't going to be the quarterback for them in 2023. They probably want a lot of draft capital that they could possibly use to for a bigger package to trade up to number one overall or number two overall, depending on what happens. And possibly possibly outbid the Giants. I'm wondering if that this move that the Eagles just made puts Joe Shane in this position where he's even looking at this in a, in a different way, just because there's this more interesting wrinkle now with all of the trade capital that the Eagles have, because the Eagles have a lot of trade capital. Dan, remember they traded back last year too, and they have some 2024 picks and now they get this trade as well. This is, um, 2024 and 2023. This is, this is smart by Howie Roseman thinking ahead. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it really is. And it's a nice hedge, like you like you mentioned on Jalen Hurts. It's like you can it's it's essentially why a part of the reason why we want the Giants to consider trading back in this class. The same exact logic. We want to hedge on Daniel Jones. Now, I, I don't want to compare the two prospects, Daniel Jones and Jalen Hurts. But it's clear here that the Eagles are not all in on Hurts, in my mind, at least by making this trade. Like this trade shows me. They want to get more capital for potential trade up for a quarterback in the next class. If Hertz doesn't work out how they want him to in this class. And that's, again, part of the reason why we're interested in trading back. It's not the only part of the equation for me and Nick, but it's certainly there. And Dan, too, man. Another thing that's just wild about this trade, the Saints might suck. Like They may yeah, not be so a good weird. football team. That's why I was I was a little confused from their standpoint as to totally. why they're doing like Dennis Allen, he was a great defensive coordinator. It didn't work out when he was the Oakland Raiders coach, but that was a while ago. You know, he's a well-respected football coach. They have a good defense, but you have Jameis Winston as your as your quarterback right now. You brought him back. Taysom Hill, I, I, I mean, he's not even in the picture right now as a quarterback. And you have Alvin Kamara. Now you have those two mid-round picks. You might be targeting two receivers there. You might be targeting Jamison Williams if he even gets to you, if the Eagles don't select him at 15. You could be targeting a Drake London, Traylon Burks, who we're about to go, whatever they, they do. But you still might suck. <laughs> and then yeah. your, your first-round pick that you could have spent on one of those quarterbacks, because Jameis Winston probably isn't your long-term guy, it now belongs to the Eagles. So, I mean, that's gonna I'm going to be rooting for the Saints a lot next year because I do not want that to transpire. And I think it's possible. So I can't think of it. I can't understand it from the Saints perspective either. And again, like you said, we now have to root for the Saints all next year because we want the Eagles to have a worse pick. But as far as from the Saints perspective, one thing I've thought that might happen in this, remember a few years ago, the Saints traded up from the back end of round one into the middle of round one. Everyone's like, oh my God, they're trading up for Lamar Jackson. Yeah. And ultimately they ended up taking Marcus Davenport, the edge rusher. Everyone's like, what the, what the fuck? Who the hell, excuse my language, who the hell trades up for a defensive end? And like, I almost feel like it's possible the Saints view this as a potential three tackle class. And they just lost Taron Armstead in free agency due to captain's concerns. Uh, at some point, the well was going to have, the levy was going to have to break. No pun intended there for New Orleans there. Um, yeah, nah, just kidding. I did want to say that one. And if it keeps on raining, the levy is going to break, but. That's what happened with their cap situation there. And that's another little reference. I guess you didn't get any either of those, Nick. No, I, I didn't. I was actually yeah, looking at my phone for a second. Right, so, I they, were so, they were so pathetic that I'm glad you Dude, didn't. They, my Eagles fan friend literally just texted me. And I was with him at the Grand Canyon yesterday. And he says, dude, that is such a haul for us. And I just said, yeah, I'm not happy about it. <laughs> no, I'm not happy about it either. I'm, 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 I am happy that those horrible puns and jokes did go Completely unnoticed, but look, look. at some point it was going to have to break, so they, didn't, they couldn't retain Taron Armstead. So I wonder if they're potentially looking to use those two picks to move up into maybe pick seven if one of those three tackles, Neil Cross or Icky, is there. And that's curious to me because I don't think that a lot of teams have as high a grade on Trevor Penning as, as some people on Twitter feel and some Giants fans feel. I will get to him eventually, but to me, I see a clear drop-off from the, from the three tackles I've studied so far and then Penning. 
Um, and honestly, I'm not even sure I would take him as the fourth tackle. There's other guys that, that are interest me in that regard. There is a ton of upside though there. He's six foot seven and he's a super athlete. So like if he can get better, he will be a beast. But I'm not so sold that they believe in him. And they might look to the Saints might look to as they're looking to compete now, obviously, with a trade like this, they may look to go ahead and make that trade up to maybe seven overall for a tackle. They're they've done it before. To me, the good thing about this trade for the Giants is from the Giants perspective, Nick is the Eagles, I mean, sorry, the Saints have at least proven that they can and are willing to trade up for something other than a quarterback. So now this, to me, puts another team in the mix for potential trade down. Because, look, if the Giants want to trade from seven and no team really is offering a mid-first plus a first next year, what if the Saints come out and they offer 16 and 19 for seven? That might be something that interests the Giants. Do you imagine getting, like, that just changes the entire outlook of this draft, obviously, for the Giants. There's so many other prospects that we haven't really gone over that are yeah, probably exactly. I hope they do it before the draft. I hope they do it soon if that's going to happen so we can we can prepare ourselves. Yeah, that's something that I would I would love. I mean, honestly, I, I do want the capital for next year because of all the reasons that we kind of listed already throughout this podcast. But if you can land two picks in the teens just for seven, I mean, that's excellent. You could possibly leverage another pick out of it. Probably not. It depends, I guess, maybe a fourth or a fifth if they even have one because they've been, you know, doing these trades. But man, that would be a... That'd be a nice way to kind of start the Joe Shane era here in New York. I actually got to be honest with you, Nick. I'll, I'll look into it after since I kind of just thought of the idea on top of my head. I'm not so sold I would want to do that deal. Is that crazy? I'll tell you why. Here's my perspective on it. I look through this class, and I really feel like the Giants are in a pretty good spot if they're picking for this year. If they don't get, if they don't want, if they're not interested in trading for a next year first, because that's still very intriguing to me. The 2023 first, given our quarterback situation, is very intriguing to me. But as far as the two mid-teens for this draft class, especially with our cap situation, I, I feel like they're in a really good spot right now to get one of the tackles and potentially one of the edges who I love. Now, you can make the case to me right now that if they could get Jermaine Johnson at 16, it's all gravy. Or, like, you know, like a play, if, let's say you could lock in for me Johnson or any of those, those, those edges, Walker included, at 16. Then I could be like, all right, okay, I'm in on this. Or And, and maybe you could talk me into... Like, like, well, maybe Stingley falls and we could take a chance on that, on the upside of that. But as it stands right now at five and seven, like the, the chance of getting like Neil in one of these edges or any of these tackles on one of these edges, it's really intriguing to me, Nick. Um, and even if you want to throw Gardner into the mix, I really like Sauce Gardner. But I don't know at 16 and 19 how many prospects I love. Yeah, so the way I was looking at this is you could possibly trade back, but let's even kind of remove that from this scenario, right? Okay. I haven't gotten to this guy's film, and I know he played a lot of zone in college, but I've heard amazing things about Trent McDuffie, the kid from Washington. I haven't watched the film. I don't know how good he would be in man coverage. He's somebody that interests me. Booth, you have the injury. I get it. Derek Stingley, I get the injuries. He's reportedly fully healthy. He's going to do his LSU pro day and everything. He has the highest upside of any cornerback in this draft. If you look at some of the edge rushers, I don't know if any of those Thibodeaux or Johnson or Walkers would be there, but what I'm also thinking is that all these reports, because you're hearing multiple reports that sound ridiculous, that Kayvon Thibodeau is going to fall. If he does fall, say to like 12 or 13, you can even trade up maybe a little bit and get a Kayvon right. Thibodeau. You don't have to give up a one. You could just give up maybe two picks. And I don't love that situation, but if you're not liking how the draft is falling for you, I think it is another option that you can go. I feel a little bit better about this situation. David Ajabo didn't have that really bad injury. But then you start looking at the interior offensive linemen, the Kenyon Greens and the Zion Johnsons of the world, and you're like, ooh, that would be really pretty on the Giants as well. Would they double up 
on the offensive line. I'm not 100% certain about that. I think wide receiver could be in play around there too. And then the Kyle Hamilton case. Kyle Hamilton can go number two overall in this draft. He can go number three overall. He can also go number 16 overall. Like, I'm not really 100% certain. I don't think he will. He's like, I, I love Kyle Hamilton's game, but I don't know how the NFL views him right now being a quote unquote safety. I think they're going to be a little bit wiser to that, but he could realistically fall because a lot of people are looking at the, you know, Lewis signs and the Jaquan Briskers and the depth at safety and say, we will take that risk in the set or we'll take that pick in the second round. And then Kyle Hamilton will fall a little bit in the first round and the giants can kind of scoop him up at that area of the draft. I think that it opens up an interesting possibility, but I can also totally understand arguments to just be like, if sauce Gardner is there and we're not going to know this until draft day sauce Gardner is there at seven, just take sauce. But then you have to factor in the, the cap situation as well, because giants may not want to allocate two top 10 contracts or they might not be in a position. Now they have a little bit more freedom with the Adoree Jackson thing. I think they're still going to make some moves. I just think there are a lot of moving parts to this yeah. that are wildly interesting. And uh, kind of, I, 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 in my brain, it goes back and forth. Like, again, I'm not sold on any one thing, but I like the idea of a lot of things. Yeah. I'd have to look into it, Nick. Cause I, I'd really want to study those. Like, I don't know, 13 through 25 ranked prospects in, in my mind, because I don't want any of the, I don't really love any of these receivers in round one. I can start by saying that I already know I've looked at the top ones. Now my top receiver in this class is not going to be a, a common pick. It's going to be a contrarian pick. We're going to get to it soon, actually. And most likely I still have to watch a little bit more of a few of these other guys, but I don't think any of them are, are worth. I wouldn't want any of them in the teens. I don't want Linderbaum at all in the teens. It's just, I'm just not in on him. I'm fine with him a little bit later, but it's just not a pick I like. I don't want any of those those interior guys on Georgia, the defensive linemen. I don't want Devin Lloyd or Nicobe Dean. I'm intrigued by by Ryman. I want to get to him eventually. I know you did some study on him. I'm intrigued by Karloftis. I haven't seen almost anything of Karloftis. And McDuffie, who you mentioned. Though I do worry about McDuffie coming from that zone-heavy scheme at Washington. I don't know if that's a fit at all. But you're really starting to thin the herd then. Like, I'm not I'm out on Jamison Williams, you know, a job who got hurt. That's, that's, that's a problem. Cause I would have liked him potentially. And you kind of get into the range of like, obviously Jermaine Johnson would be sick, but you get into the range of kind of the guys we started talking about uh, a couple podcasts ago, the Jalen Petries, you know, the Kyler, the Andrew Booth, the Kyler Elams, um, you know, Leo, Sh those types of guys that I think might still be available for them at 36 um, potentially, at least one might fall into that range. So I don't know. It's an interesting discussion. Maybe we can have it on another, another day as well, but Without further ado, let's get into what we came here for, which was the draft profile of Traylon Burks. So Traylon Burks, wide receiver out of Arkansas. Nick, I'm going to try to do a better job of this, so I'll ask you to as well. Try to remember um, to, this is probably better to discuss off pod, but let's try and remember to name the player and the college they come from, because I know we've been getting some comments on that. I think all good podcasts do do that. The player, the the college, and the position. So Traylon Burks, wide receiver out of Arkansas. Nick, I got the chance to watch his Bama game from 2021 his Auburn game from 2021 and his Texas A&M or I'm sorry. Yeah. Texas A&M game from 2021. And boy, oh boy, do I like watching Traylon Traylon Burks. I've now seen Burks, Olave, Wilson, and Jamison Williams. Those are the four receivers I've studied so far. I'm going to get to Christian Watson soon. Cause I really like the little bit I've seen of him, but Traylon Burks for me, Nick, I think he's a combination of two things right now, ceiling and floor, but the ceiling is even more interesting to me. 
He will be dinged by running that four five five, I guess, at the combine. But you watch him on film, and he is a much faster football speed kind of guy than a four five five guy. He outran multiple defenders against Bama for a long catch. You see him as a running like they use him in such a variety of ways, which I thought was cool too. They line him up in the backfield a lot, Nick. They use him in motion out of the backfield. They use him as kind of quick hitter on screens. He really was that entire. Arkansas offense, which I like to see when you're like that kind of dominant player within an offense. I think it was something like 37.2% of Arkansas's receiving yards over the last two seasons have been Traylon Burks, which is absurd, uncertainly high target share and market share there. But that shows that he was the entire offense. And what really excites me most about Burks is two things. One, it's his ability to high point footballs in the air and his ability to go up and get it. And it's that speed for his size. Again, 455 doesn't look fast on paper, but if you actually watch the film on him, you see that he's game football speed. You combine all of that with insane power. He has stiff arms on film where he's just where he's just throwing defenders down. He's breaking tackles on film. He's physical, initiating contact, running through contact at that size. What is he? 225 at six foot, almost six foot three. And factor all of that into the equation with Traylon Burks. And I like his route running. I feel like there's some really nuanced things within his route running, especially his ability to get vertical. I think he does a really good job off the line of scrimmage with getting vertical and creating separation, which is for someone his size, it's it's a little uncommon to me. I factor all those things in, Nick, um, and I really like this receiver. I really like this player. The last thing I want to mention before giving you the floor here is that Bama tape, man. I'm sure you saw it. They tried to do everything in their power to take him out of the game plan. They wanted to take him out. They It's a Saban defense. He comes from the Belichick mindset, get rid of their best player. He was playing hurt when you could see it. Like he's playing through a really nasty shoulder injury in that game. And he was banged up all year. He looked a lot different to me on film in that first game I watched, in the first few games I watched, the AM and the Auburn, when it was like four games into their season, versus the back end where he was playing hurt. And yet, despite that, he put up a dominant performance against Bama, the best, arguably the second best defense in college football last year. And so just to me, that was a man's man performance. And I love to see that from prospects. Yeah, Traylon Burks is wildly interesting as a player. And the Bama, Bama game was something special, man. The 66-yard touchdown catch was, was pretty freaking awesome. And you're right about Arkansas's offense. They, they schemed a lot of production for – Traylon Burks, he was the focal point. They kind of used him like San Francisco uses Debo Samuel, like jet sweeps, get the football on his hands, allow him to use that physical nature. And he has a little bit of wiggle in space to also make guys miss for someone who's six foot three, 225 pounds. But that 66 yard catch, that was off of a quads look outside the numbers with Traylon Burks as the backside X receiver to the field, right? So Bama still rolled the safety towards Traylon Burks here. So the quarterback snaps the ball and then hits Traylon Burks on a back shoulder, well-timed pass where Traylon Burks kind of struggled to defeat the press coverage at the line of scrimmage, but then he works to the back shoulder, makes the catch. And now he has two defenders who are over the top of him around midfield with three pursuing defenders also around midfield. And he still outran all five of those dudes to the end zone. Like that is a lot faster than four, five, five. Like I thought he was going to run a little bit faster. I didn't necessarily think he was going to run a four, three, but if you would have said like a four, four, five or something like that, I'd be like, okay, like I, I can understand that. Like people were saying, Oh, he might run like a four, three, five. I was like, eh, I don't know about that, but dude, he has the 
long strides, the ability to high point the ball, and his just overall ball skills, and the little nuances with releasing off of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, he did have the schemed production that we talked about, but there was this play against Missouri. It was in the third quarter, about 10 minutes left in the game, and the cornerback did not handle it well, and Arkansas did a good job putting him in motion out to the field, but he releases off the line of scrimmage, and he varies his tempo, which is something that you see Jahan Dotson, the kid for Penn State, do all the time. And what I mean by that is you don't always go from zero to 100. You want to start slow sometimes to really get that cornerback guessing, and then you can explode once you get the cornerback to do what you want him to do. So he varies his tempo and kind of slowly releases off the line of scrimmage, chops his feet, then plants his inside foot very, very hard, and that just totally gets the cornerback to kind of cut down like this is going to be a slant or an in route, something that Traylon Burks had a lot of success running at the collegiate level, and then he just explodes off right by the numbers and just goes vertical and is beats the guy by like three yards of separation. Like he's creating some separation out there. And this is against SEC defenders, man. So this is something that's well within his skill set to do. I don't think he's going to be a a natural separator at the next level, but I think he can do enough to create separation. And then you talk about his ability in the red zone and on third down and and the soft hands and the, ability to extend away from his frame you're talking about a pretty darn good receiver i think if he ran a 4-4 and not a 4-5-5 at the combine this guy's an easy first round pick and that stuff gets over evaluated in my mind yeah it does get over evaluated especially when you watch the tape and you see the game speed but i want to talk about all the traits you talked about because i think the my favorite so the ability to pluck away from his frame and the ability to, there's a catch he makes at the catch point where he there were a safety in a corner collapse on him and he takes a massive hit and holds on to the ball. Like he's really strong at the catch point too. And not only that, like you said, he does an excellent job of kind of using his frame to make catches away from his body when they're not located in where you want them to be when the ball placement is off. And that was somewhat frequent from the Arkansas quarterback play. But what has me most excited is what you said. It's the tempoing in his routes. I really love to see how he gets vertical because he does a great job of creating a lot of separation on vertical routes, but it's not with just crazy burst speed off the line of scrimmage. And like you said, I don't think he's going to be a natural separator. I've seen a lot of comps, Nick, for A.J. Brown, um, Jalen Burks and A.J. Brown. I don't see as much A.J. Brown. I see more Vincent Jackson, Mike Evans. He's not going to be Mike Evans. He's not as big as Mike Evans, and he's not as big as, as Vincent Jackson. But... He does do some things in my mind a little bit better than Vincent Jackson. One of those things is kind of just like tempoing his routes, like you said, and having the kind of quick, a little bit more quickness on the in breakers that you were talking about. He's not just someone who wins vertically on the outside. He can win over the middle with those in breakers, and he did. He was a big part of the offense. He went, he won on screens for them too, on quick hitting stuff. And it was weird sometimes when you watch the Arkansas game because sometimes he was used as like a lead blocker in their weird run game. I don't think he's a great blocker despite his size, Nick. I'm curious what your take is on that. Yeah, I'm trying to look at my notes for now. I don't remember coming away thinking, yeah, this guy's a terrible blocker, but for someone of his size, I think yeah. I wanted a little bit more from him. I thought he'd be a little more dominating, especially because they kind of used him in a lot of ways where I'm like, oh, this is designed to kind of get him to help as a blocker. And I was like, eh, he held on a couple plays where I was surprised and he just didn't get ahead of people. But as far as receiving goes, because that's what's most important here, I think he's going to be a really interesting prospect that, in my opinion, has a chance to be the best receiver in this draft class. Just based on what I see, what I look for in receivers, the traits I want, which is you know frame, ability at the catch point, great hands, the ability to separate vertically and be a threat. And despite all this, he did this while mostly kind of operating in a unique role that we've talked about and hinted to. But I'll, I'll get the numbers just so you can see them, so, we, so the listeners can hear it. But he had 77% of his snaps in the slot. 
So like there's not actually proof at the moment that he can be what we expect him to be, which is like this dominant X. That's like when you draft Jalen uh, Traylon Burks, you're expecting to get a dominant X. And it makes sense given his frame, his size, his speed and his ability to create separation vertically. And like you even said, his ability to win on those kind of isolated inbreakers. But right now it's a little bit of rejection. Do you have any concerns about his ability to kind of project to an X receiver role at the next level? prototypically he he fits the build to be an x type of receiver outside i mean he ran a ton of go routes a ton of out routes i feel like when it was that backside receiver in a three by one set and he was by himself he did a really good job adjusting to the football when he has to break over the middle of the field specifically when you're in the intermediate parts of the field so those deep digs i, I feel like his transitions kind of sinking his hips throttling down and then breaking over the middle of the field uh, they left a little bit to be desired. I don't think he was totally deficient in it. And I don't think he ran the three cone, but if he did, no, he did run the three cone. Okay. And it was a seven two eight. That's probably what I expected. Something that's not overly impressive in, in, in that manner, but I don't think that's necessarily going to hinder him at the next level as an X type of receiver. I think he could fit into that role, but you don't have to pigeonhole him into that role either because you can use him creatively like Arkansas did, even at the NFL level in terms of getting him going on jet sweeps, in terms of getting these easy Easy touches into his hands. I mean, he ran a crap load of screen passes. I think he probably ran more screens than anything else at the college level. They just yeah. wanted to get the football in his hands and he was able to make something happen. Now, is that going to be as easy in the NFL? No, but I still think it could be a pretty big part of what you do with him. Not to mention all the things that you can do on the outside, outside the numbers, the vertical routes, the quick hitches, the comeback routes, and all of those things. So I think he can translate to BNX. However, I think it would be a little bit more predicated on winning contested catch balls and using that separation quickness in terms of the buildup speed that he has rather than precise route running. Because if you watch Traylon Burks, then you watch a Jahan Dotson or Sky Moore even, the route running for the two receivers I just named is a lot better and more crisp than the route running that Traylon Burks possesses. Yeah, I really feel like that's the most interesting part of his game that he was used so often on those quick hitters and those screens. And it shows that he has the ability. There was one play where he took an end around when he's in motion, he takes the end around handoff and he houses it. He shows that he has breakaway ability that didn't show up on the 40 yard dash at in an Indy. It was a bad day for him. Maybe I don't know because when you watch him on tape, he has breakaway speed and he's not just like a lumbering outside guy. Like, it's not the same. Like, you know, Alec Pierce, Alex Pierce ran a better 40 than him. I've watched Alex Pierce. He's not a faster athlete in my mind, game speed wise, with all the pads on than Traylon Burks. And he's running against way lesser athletes in whatever conference USA, I guess, was it Conference USA? One of those crappy conferences out there. It's different than the SEC. Those are just beast athletes across the board on that, on any defense you face, basically. They're the best of the best. And you could see the speed with a guy like Burks. He has the breakaway speed ability. So, to me, that size speed combo, his ability to win as a vertical weapon early in his NFL career, I believe, with like you said, some of the nuances, the tempoing his route running, kind of making it selling it like he's gonna he's gonna settle down and clamp down and then bursting back. Ability to win on inbreakers, tough hands at the catch point, tough player in general, takes a ton of hits and holds on to the football, made some crazy acrobatic high point catches on his tape. Really loved watching this guy play. But I will ask you this. A lot of people are concerned about his ability to win against press coverage. And this was a concern, not just for, I feel like a lot of, we've seen this with a lot. I feel like, wasn't that a concern some people had for, um, I know people have that concern for Christian Watson in this class. I feel like that was a concern. Some people said for DK Metcalf. Am I wrong? I remember hearing that. I think so. But a lot of his concern was the similar concern I have with Traylon Burks was, can he run like a deep dig route and not be completely predictable? Like how, right 
agile is he with his feet and his ability to sink his weight and explode out of a break? Yes. And we'll talk about that in a second, the hips and the ability to explode at breaks. Cause that's important too. But as far as like the press goes, he did only, according to pro football focus, he only had 39 snaps against press, but there was a great rep. Did you see the game against Auburn or like A&M? I believe it was. Yeah. The A&M corner tried to bump and run him and he just totally bitched him at the line of scrimmage and created like three or four steps immediately and, and how, and, and then like housed a vertical throw there. So it's like, it's, there are examples of him being able to beat press. I just feel like he hasn't been tested that much in that regard. Well, that one example, I mean, you're, again, you're talking, that was an 85 yard touchdown catch, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. And he was outside the numbers to the, I think he was to the boundary. So there was no one helping this cornerback and the cornerback tries to to press him, but he was able to win with his release. And I don't think he has like the best release off the line of scrimmage, but he's very, very physical. Now, can that translate to the NFL? Because you know, obviously cornerbacks in the NFL can handle more physicality than these, even these SEC defenders who are pretty solid for the level of play that they, that they are uh, currently playing in. But with that one play, man, he just swats the guy's arms. And then what he does is, and, and this is another thing that can be construed, I think, as a, as a negative, is he has more build up speed he's not somebody who's going to go from like a zero to a hundred like a like a jameson williams but once he gets going he has some freaking pretty good speed dude and he on that one play about 10 yards down the field he stacked the dude and he just created enough separation to where there was no way that cornerback was going to make a play on that football if it wasn't wildly underthrown and ended up going for an 85 yard touchdown as pulled up his gps tracking data his top speed was 22.9 miles per hour and he has 44 high-speed plays. And a high-speed play, the way this GPS tracking data constituted, is a play that goes over 18 miles per hour. So that's pretty fast. So 22.9 miles per hour is pretty fast. And he had a lot of opportunity to, to sprint into space. So he had a lot of opportunity to reach that maximum speed. But you look at Jamison Williams, his top speed was 23.1 miles per hour. I don't think we're sitting here thinking that Traylon Burks is as fast as Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams, to me, is a much faster player. But you could still see how... Traylon Burks can reach a top speed and separate. Now, I don't think it's, again, I think it's more of a buildup thing than something that happens as quickly as a Jamison Williams, but that's still something that can be harnessed and utilized and leveraged in the NFL, that kind of speed, that buildup speed to create separation. Now, let's talk about that other concern on his tape or just as a prospect, and it's the possibility of him having stiff hips that might, like you said, limited him at the next level. He's not able to make those, to get to barrel down and kind of make those cuts that are necessary for those deep digs and those 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 intermediate in breaking routes. So what what would you say to those concerns? I think they're valid. I mean, I've voiced them already throughout the podcast. I think some of my other concerns is he doesn't have elite speed. I think he can reach that top speed, but again, it takes him a while to accelerate. I'm reading off my scouting report right now. Uh, I didn't feel like he created too much uh separation when he was on the boundary against off coverage. I feel like he ate into their coverage solidly, but there wasn't a lot of times where he was able to get over the top, which is difficult to do. And that's mainly because it, there is some build up speed there that makes it a little bit more predictable, might not stress the cornerbacks as, as, as much as some of those really, really quick twitch type of wide receivers do. And then I also had, and we brought this up a little bit earlier, he, how frequently he was used in the slot. I think that is a good thing for the NFL, but then that also begs the question, can he consistently win off the line of scrimmage as an X to the boundary in the NFL. I think it can be developed. I think we've seen enough from his release package and his hands to do that, but it's still not, it's definitely not something that I am certain about because we haven't seen it too much 
in the NFL in terms of how many times he faced press. Now that Texas A&M play was great, but that doesn't mean that's going to always happen when you're facing better defenders in the NFL. Then there's the route running. I think he tempos his routes well at times, but he's definitely not the most crisp or efficient route runner in this class. Those are my concerns. Yeah, and I think those are valid concerns, but and it's probably why he's a bit of a projection. I'll admit myself, I'm very keen on him, obviously, but he's a player that is a bit of projection. So let's get to that whole idea of projection. To me, you just don't find receivers like Burks in every class. His ability to win with the combination of size, speed, and ball skills. I love his ball skills. I think he might have the best ball skills in the class, and that's a huge trait for me. He's skilled with balls. Mm -hmm. Skilled with balls, yeah. It's the hands. It's the ability to adjust in air. Uh, his body, the body control, the ability to take a hit and just hold on to the ball. But it really is also the size and speed. Because if you watch it on film, he is an absolute beast from that standpoint. It's partially why that's part of the reason why some of these guys win at the next level, like the Mike Williams and the and even the going back, like the Vincent Jacksons of the world. They won a, a lot of ways because of their combination of size and speed. And I think he has a lot to his game. I really think he even has a, a surprising elusiveness and lateral agility that you see when he's used on those screens and those those quick hitters. So for me, he's probably going to ultimately be my wide receiver one. I don't think he's going to go in round one, potentially. I think he might be on the board at 36 overall after that devastating 40-yard dash time. Is he someone you'd be interested in taking at 36 overall? Because I'll just be honest, he's going to be on my short list at 36 overall. I would entertain it. Right now, I have a fringe first-round grade on him. I have one receiver ranked higher than him, and that is Jameson Williams. I have him higher than, than Traylon Burks, but I still have to grade Jahan Dotson, both Ohio State guys, Sky Moore, a lot of other receivers who could jump him. But at the same time, I also entertain labeling him with a boom and bust type of wide receiver, similar to what I did with Drake London. So having that little tag of the boom and bust, you would have to have a really nice plan with him. I think having Mike Kafka... And Brian Dable on your staff, I think they're smart enough offensive minds that they can employ Traylon Burke's skill set well enough. But are there other players that are going to be available at 36 that I would entertain more? I think there would be, but it really depends also on what the Giants end up doing with the first or second pick. I mean, I think they're going to go right tackle with that first pick. I think that's something that we feel pretty confident about as a Giants fan base, right? But I have no idea what they're doing with seven. They could trade back. I think that's a realistic. We explored those options. There are probably going to be plenty of options to trade back that could sit tight and take Kayvon Thibodeau and Edge or Ahmed Sauce Gardner. I think that really impacts what's available at 36. And this is a deeper wide receiver class. So I look at the two third round picks and I say, you know, maybe we would look at wide receiver there. But to give you a simple answer, I would entertain it, but I, I wouldn't lock it in. Yeah. It's definitely not my number one choice, but he'll be on a short list for me. You asked me if I'd rather have Trey McBride or Traylon Burks at 36. I, it's almost laughable to me. I think this guy can do so much more for your team and for your offense. And when you see just kind of what receivers are getting paid right now, the price it costs to acquire Ty Tyreek Hill via trade and the price it costs to extend him. What's going on right now in Tennessee with A.J. Brown after they gave Brian Tannehill that massive contract and re-signed Derrick Henry, ruined their cap spot situation with those two guys neither of whom are really proving to be, in my mind, worth it this year or long-term, they may have to trade A.J. Brown. And A.J. Brown was selected at 51st overall, and he had similar concerns coming into the NFL, in my mind, as Traylon Burks. Again, I don't think they're apples-to-apples -apples comp here, Nick, but you know he had the issues of, is he fast enough? He didn't run a great 40 time, A.J. Brown. Well, A.J. Brown is potentially going to be traded right now for like multiple first round, for mo crazy draft capital, and then re-signed to a $26 million a year contract. So if the Giants can find an A.J. Brown type in at 36 overall that they get under team control for a million or less, or, you know, for like 2 million or less for four years, 
that's a huge win for this franchise. They need to find a way to beat, like Joe Shea, Jane says, beat the positional value aspect of building a roster. And that means finding valuable positions that get major contract extensions either in, uh, with their team or via free agency, the guys you have to pay up for via the draft on those four-year cheap team-controlled deals. So that's what gets me excited about the potential of drafting a Jalen Burks at 36 overall. He probably won't be number one on my list, Nick, but he's definitely up there. I think it's interesting, too, and I think Drake London is going to go. He's the USC wide receiver. Drake London is going to go before Traylon Burks gets selected, but I think that's an interesting kind of discussion to have because London was used more as a conventional wide receiver with USC, but, dude, he had so many screens called for him. Like, that was a huge part of the offense that they ran over there at USC was just get the football into Drake London's hand. But then you see some of his contested catch ability, and you're like, dude, he's a better contested catch player than a Traylon Burks. And then you'll look at Burks, I would think is maybe even a better athlete. It's hard to say because Drake London, you know, he he can climb the ladder, great vertical more than likely. And he was hurt. He got hurt at the end of the season. So he didn't test at the combine or anything like that. But I would imagine Drake London probably tests better than a Traylon Burks did because Burks didn't test all that well at the combine. But you watch how Burks is able to kind of create separation despite the fact that he is that size. And you think, then Burks might have them from an athletic standpoint. And I think those two are two guys who have boom bust potential, depending on how much separation they can create at the next level. And I think that's an interesting uh, thought piece to kind of put out there. If the giants were to entertain another big bodied receiver, which they already have one under contract for a little while on their roster in Kenny Galladay. Yep. For sure. All right. That's all we have for today on the big blue banter podcast. Thank you again for locking in with us. Keep it locked and loaded here. More to come. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.